right, guys. Welcome back to Beyond the Barbell, brought to you by Reebok, official sponsor of CrossFit and the CrossFit Games. I am Ben Alderman. And I'm Brian Morrison. This episode is going to be brought to you guys by Studio Sweden. They're a lifestyle brand that makes premium headphones with studio-quality sound and a classic Scandinavian design. They've sent us out a couple pairs of these. Ben's been running in them, so they haven't been moving very fast. No. But- they haven't. But he's been comfortable. But they sound great. <laughs> but they fit on top of his big head. Um, they're offering you guys, our listeners, a 15% off discount if you go to their website and enter the code BTB15. So that's Studio Sweden. Look them up. Check them out. Great stuff. I can't imagine somebody wouldn't want the headphones I have. You know? They're amazing. If they were actually the ones you used? Or you're saying I'll just I'll give the, you those for 50% yeah. off as well. 15% off or whatever they want to do. Special discount. Yeah. Send, send me uh, some money and I'll send you the ones I've been wearing and then get myself some new ones. Uh, today, guys, we're sitting here with Lance Palmer. Uh, Lance is an MMA fighter. He is with the Professional Fighters League. And uh, he's been fighting for quite a few years now. He's got a background in wrestling. Uh, we're super stoked to have him on the show. Lance, thanks for coming on, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, so... Uh, you know, before we dive into, you know, fighting and, you know, what kind of got you in there, uh, your nickname's The Party. Yep. And so I think anybody... That's has... such a great name, though. <laughs> so, so good. I mean, that's got to, like, elicit questions no matter where you go. You know what I mean? So where'd it come from? So the actual first story of where the nickname came from was from Uriah, but it's from a story he heard about me in college. And every year, the beginning of the year at Ohio State... We have this big meeting with all the sports teams together and the athletic director, associate ADs, all the coaches of each team. And I was running late because it was my freshman year. I was kind of lost in the building I was going to. It was in a a big room. And I open the door and I come in at the front podium where like the AD, Gene Smith, like all the all the big wigs of the sports industry at Ohio State. And then I'm just looking and I'm like. Like, obviously, I was quick-witted at the time, but I was just like, I didn't know what to say because everybody's staring at me because they were already going. And I was just like, I'm here for the gangbang. And I just walked to the back of the room, like, as quick as I could. And my wrestling coach was yes. in the back corner. And he just stared me down the entire time. And I was like, I could feel him staring at me. Like, everybody just started busting up laughing. And, like, everybody just stopped until I sat down. And then it continued normally. But Faber heard that story from someone. And the very first time I met him, he was like, he's like, dude, you got to be the party, man. Like, you can't just have a story like that from freshman year of college and not be the party. So it kind of, it stuck, and that's that's the way it's been since then. <laughs> that's, that's, I kind of want to hear a little more about the reaction of the room. Like, <laughs> were there people giving you the stink eye besides your coach, or does everybody just love it? Well, I mean, Gene Smith is the AD there, and he was kind of like, like, after everybody started laughing, he just kind of was like, all right, guys, settle down, settle down. He's like, nice of you to join us, and then got back right to it. Because I think, like, the longer he would have let it go, people just would have been losing it the whole time. So he had to, like, shut it down right away. But it was uh, – now that I look back on it, it was funny. But this was, like, the first impression I had on most people, like most of the people that I was going to be working with the next four years. And uh, – Tom Ryan, my, their head wrestling coach, he already knew me a little bit, even though he was a new coach there. But uh, after, like, he even started laughing afterward. He's like, how did you even come up with that to say that the first thing? And I was just like, I don't know, man. It's just like it was in there, and I had to go with it. So I just went with it, and it, it stuck. People loved it, though. <laughs> um, how did you 
how did you first come into contact with Uriah and become a part of Team Alpha Male? So my sophomore year of college, I was at I was at school and we were preparing for I believe it was the Big Ten tournament, and we were in the wrestling room and we were just working out. And Faber was in town because the WEC back then was the organization he fought in. They came to Columbus and fought at Nationwide Arena. He had a sponsor at the time called Cage Fighter, and they were based out of Columbus. And I've known the the old owner of Cage Fighter. I've known him for years. He's a big donor at Ohio State. So that was how we got connected. And Mark Coleman told Faber, was like, man, this guy's got the wrestling intensity, the ability, like, he's got the right attitude to be a fighter. And for those of you that don't know Mark Coleman, he was a pride champion back in the day, UFC champion. He was a national champion at Ohio State for wrestling. So He's he, like an OG in the MMA world, for Exactly. Sure. Yeah. yeah, he's like the godfather of MMA. Mm-hmm. So he kind of, he broke the bridge with me in favor of, you know, getting to know each other and contact info and all that good stuff. And then Faber kind of followed me through college, just watching my NCAA tournaments. And, and then my senior year of college, right after the NCAA finals, he hit me up and he was like, Hey man, I'm fighting, uh, Jose Aldo at, uh, Arco arena in, you know, a month or two, you want to come out and watch the fight and flew me out. And then from then on, I was basically a part of team alpha male. So he kind of recruited you. Almost. Yeah. Okay. Is that typical for your guys' team? Or is, is Faber out there? Or are you guys out there kind of recruiting new talent? Is that how it works? It's basically – so he recruited Chad Mendez from Cal Poly. And Chad's a perennial contender in the UFC. Um, TJ Dillashaw, he semi-recruited TJ. TJ was down with Mark Munoz in Southern California after he graduated from Fullerton. And uh, Munoz is like, hey, man, I got a guy that's moving up towards SAC. His family's from Angel's Camp, which is like 40 minutes from here. And uh, he's like, he's a guy that he's tough. He's hard-nosed. He's a good guy to have in there. And so he's like, yeah, have him come up. And uh, so it's kind of happened that way. But now that we're getting to this point, like D.C. and all those guys at AKA, now they're starting to recruit wrestlers. So it's becoming more of a thing where – you kind of want to recruit the next generation of guys. So we have a new guy. Um, he's 4-0. He's not that new, but he's new to our team over the last few months. And his name's Alex Munoz. And he was a guy who wrestled for a little while at Oklahoma State, then Oklahoma University. And he's wrestled with you know some of the best guys in the country. So he made his way out here, and he's kind of our newest guy to the team. But we have people from all over the world that come and train with our team all the time. Yeah, I mean, as a guy who's kind of in there not training uh, MMA right now, but in there on the fitness side, you know, kind of seeing things, I see you guys have a lot of guys come through, you know. I mean, even uh, Sage Northcutt just came through. And yep. I don't know if he – did he move to Sacramento or – I think so. He lives with one of Faber's neighbors. They have, like, a, a guest house. Yeah, I mean, he's he has a bright future ahead. He's a good listener. He wants to learn, and he's young. I mean, he's young, and he's already that athletic. Like, that ability can take him – as high as he wants to go, as long as he just keeps getting better. Did and I'm curious about Sage just because uh, his wrestling for you guys who don't know isn't that great, mm-hmm. right? Is that correct? Yeah, he's yeah. pretty green in the wrestling department. He's mainly like a karate and taekwondo background. So did he search out Alpha Male because of of that reason? He needs to work on that and like so the wrestling like, reputation. Yeah, because you know, I mean, I feel like in the UFC, if you want to be good, you got to. You, you know, if you're going to be a champ or you're going to be good or have any kind of career, you got to be a decent wrestler. You Definitely. Know what I mean? So did he search? 
that out, or did Uriah see that in him and go like he doesn't have wrestling? I should pull him in. You know what I mean? Like how that? Happened? I think it was kind of a a little bit of both. I know that Sage was probably interested in changing things up a little bit because his dad was coaching him, and then once he got into the UFC, his he was at Duke Rufus's gym in Milwaukee, who has Anthony Pettis and a bunch of other high level guys, but they're mainly striking also. So I think Faber kind of reached out to him and was like, hey, man, the door's always open if you want to come and learn from us. Obviously, he has a lot that he can teach some of us in the stand-up department. But in the wrestling and MMA grappling side of it, this is the gym to be at. So I think it was a little bit of both sides of it, but he's been happy so far. He's been here about three months. Yeah, and from what I can tell, what I'm hearing is uh, you're a big part of that in terms of the grappling and the wrestling. You know, uh, I hear murmuring that you know you should be a ufc guy at this point i hear murmurings that you're like you're one of the best if not the best wrestlers in you know there you know at this point um you know speak to that for just a second and you know how do you feel like your role is in this team and in where you're at as the team's growing and new guys are coming in and some of the older guys that were already here when I first came are doing their own thing or moved to another team or another state for whatever reason, I feel like I've been through the change in tides where the team was going through a little, uh, little up and down and kind of everything's leveled out now and we're back to a point where everybody's focused and doing things correctly. But I feel like... Being through all that and having the background of wrestling that I've had with the, some of the greatest coaches that I could ever ask for were through wrestling. So I was taught a lot of different things about discipline and loyalty and being being somebody who others can count on. Whether it's you don't always have to be the best at whatever that sport is or whatever you're doing, whether it's business or sports. It's being somebody that others can look up to, whether it's through actions or whether it's just helping and you know, always having a positive attitude. And that's something that I bring to the table with, with my wrestling. It's more than just, I was like, yeah, I was a great wrestler in college. I was a four-time All-American. I was a Big Ten champion. I was a national finalist. But that stuff, anybody can, I mean, not anybody, but you can be a great wrestler and still be a dickhead or still not help people out. And I've always been the person like, I learned this, so I want to help somebody else if they're struggling in that same area because I've been through that. I learned that. So that's kind of where my role as a wrestling coach for the team took off about five and a half, six years ago when I first came here because I had no money when I moved out here. I was a college graduate. I did like a one-season stint at Virginia Tech and realized that I still wanted to compete. I didn't want to coach yet and moved out to Sacramento and – Faber was like, well, we'll get some money in your pocket. You can run some wrestling practices for the team. And it just kind of took off into an actual position where I was cornering guys for UFC world titles like Joseph Benavidez. I was cornering Faber in big fights, cornering most of the people on the team, like Chad Mendez versus Frankie Edgar, Paige, all these people that have come and gone on the team. Like I've been in their corner at least one time in the UFC. And that's just... That's just the way I am. I cornered three people the weekend before one of my biggest fights, and it was in the same city. So I had to fly back home and then fly back to that city with my own stuff for fight week. So it's like I've always been the type of person who's not selfish, giving to others. And um, I think that's the main thing that I always brought to the table for the team outside of just being a, a great wrestler and somebody that can teach a lot is just being there for people – 
to look up to people who are, whether they've done more than me in the sport of MMA or they're just up and comers. I can, I always have something to, to help or show other people. I've always been curious about the, the team dynamic in like in professional fighting. It can't be the way it was at Ohio state. Like collegiate sports is a very unique environment. We see it all the time. in like with between college basketball and the NBA, once guys start getting paid, like, you can't coach them the same way. It's just it's just different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I've been curious about it because Team Alpha Male has been around a long time now, and there's other big big name teams in the sport, but not that many. You know, it's it's more like um, people. It seems to me that people seek out coaches rather than teams. And I was wondering if you could maybe elaborate on that for our listeners. But a, what makes a good fight team? Right. And why is alpha male successful and B, you know, why do some fighters avoid that and go kind of like more individuals? So the first part of it, I believe is mainly because we have a lot of guys with wrestling backgrounds, guys and girls who've come from other teams of whatever sports they played growing up. And we at team alpha male, we provide the most team aspect of any other place you'll go in the world as far as a gym for fighting so it's not like yeah we're you know we're team alpha male but you go in the cage by yourself obviously but the more you can have people that have your back and and be behind you leading up to that fight or leading up to that competition it makes things a lot easier and i think People are attracted to that, obviously. And the positive attitudes of myself, Faber, Cody Garbrandt, Chad Mendez. When we go in the gym, people enjoy being there every day because the training is hard. There's no doubt about that. You know that going into it. It's more the fact that when you're in the gym, you can enjoy being around these people. These people care about each other. They're not just, they're not there to try and kick your ass and like, oh, this person's coming for my spot or my job. We're there to build each other up. And, yeah, you're going to beat each other up. That's a sport. But we're there to help each other and build each other so we can grow as a team and become all become the best. And there's pride in the team name itself as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's – like there, we always joke, like, Alpha Male, that's, like, the dumbest team name ever. Like, guys used to hate the name Team Alpha Male just because it's, like, Alpha Male. Like, we're just trying to peacock on people. But if you've met – even a fraction of the people that train at the gym. They're like the nicest people ever. We don't even have, like, I can't name somebody who's like a, just a dickhead who's like, oh, I'm a fighter, this and that. Like, I don't really, I don't think I can name somebody. Maybe people will come off the wrong way here and there if you catch them on a bad day. But most of the people in the gym are just easygoing people, and they just love what, like, we love what we do, and we have fun doing it. And that's kind of, if you're not having fun doing it, there's no reason to be doing it regardless. So why do you think other fighters – is it just the, the, the lack of a wrestling background, a team sport background, why a lot of other fighters kind of seem to avoid these more team-style dynamics? I think, it, maybe it's just difficult to find a quality group. I don't know. Yeah, I think it comes – there's a little bit of both in that, I think. When you go to other gyms, you always have the people who, like I said, there's like, oh, that guy's a dickhead. I'm not going to train with him because he just tries to hurt people. Or, you know, there there are people like that at every almost every gym. So to be in a gym like this is very unique for a lot of people when they've come from other places. And on top of that, a lot of people are trying to 
you get to a point at every gym, like even our gym at, at my weight class in the UFC, we have five or six guys in the UFC at 145 just on our team. And then other guys that come in and train that are our weight. And that's something we kind of control now because we have so many guys at the same weight. You can't just have other people coming in at our weight class just to train for a week or two. Um, But even then, we're all training and working together because when it comes down to it, we have maybe three people in the top ten at 145 right now just in the UFC. And then the other guys are up and coming in the UFC. So at some point, they're going to have to fight each other. We're going to have to split the camp in the gym and things like that. But when the time comes is when we're going to deal with it for now, everybody's teammates and there's no animosity between it. That would be such like a, a cool, like media coverage opportunity. Yeah. That'd, yeah, be, awesome. that'd be amazing. <laughs> How do you, um, you know, dealing with the different personality types, you know, is one thing, but I think that there's something kind of congruent with everyone. And everybody talks about like a fighter's mentality or a warrior's mentality. How does that get developed in somebody? Is that something that somebody's just born with, you know, or is that something that you guys have to learn? I would say in any sport or even in business, like you see people in business who are complete sharks and they just know how to get stuff done and they know, they just know how to make money or they know how to build business. I think that's like that just, it has to be somewhat genetic where you're just born with that attitude and on the other hand, I think it's the way you were raised, whether you know, you're raised in a positive environment where your parents or whoever raised you always had positive reinforcement or they would let you know if you're doing something that's, that's not right instead of just being like, oh, let them do whatever. Like my parents were very strict when I was younger. And then obviously as I've gotten older and then graduated high school and went on on my own, my, my parents became a lot more lenient and my younger brothers, like that's usually how it goes. The younger brothers get it easier once the oldest one leaves the house. But I think it, it has a lot to do with the way you're brought up, but also you just have to have that mentality. There's people that I've known that have been super athletically gifted just in wrestling alone and they didn't have the mentality so people would catch up with them because they would just go off their ability alone. They would just get super lazy in the gym, and they just wouldn't be training the way that they should be training to get better because they're like, oh, I can beat all these guys. Then you get to that level where everyone else is like, okay, we're inching closer, we're getting better. And I feel like a mentality like that is more important than the athletic ability. Even though you need athletic ability to a certain extent to even compete, the mentality is what's going to push you through. And you guys know that just in the, in the CrossFit and the fitness world, the mentality is what gets you through. The ability can only take you so far. And if you have a strong mentality to just push yourself through something, once you get there, you're way more satisfied and that breaks the threshold even farther. So I think that's just what it comes down to. I mean, you can, you can train a mentality only so much, but you have to, you have to have it you have to have it inside you from the beginning, I feel. That's the most frustrating thing to see as a coach. And I, I, don't, I don't fancy myself as that being like the mentally toughest person in the world, but, I mean, I'm pretty tough. It's so frustrating to have athletes that you're coaching or friends that you like want, wish well for mm-hmm. that don't have that. Yeah. You know? Because it's oh, like it's you said. Because you can't. You can't teach somebody that yeah you know that real push through breaking through thresholds kind (laughs) of like mentality it's like it's either developed when you're young Mm -hmm. or it's not 
you know? And that's, yeah. like, hard to watch because you can see so much ability wasted. Well, it's like my brother. He's the, like the perfect example because he was so naturally gifted as a wrestler, way better than me gifted-wise. He's three years younger than me. He started wrestling before me. I was doing karate at the time, and I was like, man, wrestling looks like – it looks like fun. I mean, it's like – kind of combat sport but karate i was just learning like routines and katas i w- there was nothing combative about it at that young age and my brother was winning all these little wrestling tournaments locally and then i was like i'm gonna try wrestling i tried it on my ninth birthday went to practice never went back to karate i was like i'm done and i was close to being a black belt in karate at nine or ten years old and it just wasn't for me it was something where i was like I, i'm not fulfilling like my competitive edge even at that young age i knew that i wanted i was competitive i was playing tons of sports and my brother was so naturally gifted he was winning national tournaments at 10 years old 11 years old 12 years old all the way up and then i would have to work twice as hard just to get to where he's at but we knew like my dad would have us do pull-ups push-ups and sit-ups every day We'd have to do a certain amount of pull-ups, certain amount of push-ups, certain amount of sit-ups in sets, usually 10 sets total. And my dad would always have to count his reps because it would either be one rep or two reps every single set that he wouldn't do. And it was just is a mindset thing. It was just like some people already at 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's like and it's nothing that he even knew that he was doing, I don't think, because he's just like he's like, ah, he's like he just didn't care. And it, it comes down to everything, and that transferred over into the wrestling also. Because as a freshman in high school, uh, I was going for my fourth state title. He was going for his first state title, and he was a lighter weight, so he wrestled his finals before my match. He went out there and smashed this kid, finished the kid, uh, pinned him in the first period. And I was so happy for him because I was like, man, you, you wrestled great. You went out there and put it on this kid because the kid's family was talking crap all season because they didn't wrestle until the finals. And it was one of those things where I was like, I was really proud of him for that. And then when I was in college, I kind of saw him fading a little bit because he was so damn talented that he just didn't, he felt that, I don't know if he felt that or if he just kind of knew that he could beat people. But the, the gap started to close with certain guys who were, you know, really talented also, but just not on his level. And he was a four-time state champ in high school, but regardless of that, it was more the work ethic just wasn't naturally there. So it has to be something that you're born with, but I think that with the right amount of, like, coaching and things like that, you can train it a little bit, but you can't force it. Like, my dad tried – so my dad wanted it more than him sometimes because he knew how gifted he was and how good he could be, and it just – I think there's just certain people that – only want to do so much and you can't make them want to do it yeah you know i've run into that a few times too i actually have people who are i i don't know what to call them i call them like front runners like so if they're if they're doing exceptionally better than the than the group they'll keep pushing yeah. and and like they'll they'll just like they love it but as soon as somebody gets close and puts a little pressure on them you know and the the competitiveness starts to really kind of sink in like and have to work for it, it might be hard i could potentially fail they're like eh you know what I'm just going to change my mind and do something different. You know what I mean? Or, you know, those kind of yeah. different route. And so once it becomes a struggle, that's when you really find out who's, who has the mentality and who doesn't. Because if you're, like you're saying, if you're out front, if you're the front runner, anybody can do that. You know, it comes down to when 
people are catching up or when you have to catch up to someone else, do you have that mindset to, to push through the pain and do it? Or is it just, you're like, oh shit, I can't do it. So I'm just going to give up. So when you're in training and you're, like you said, you're a coach, been a coach for a long time. Ben and I are coaches. CrossFit lends itself to like, um, revealing the struggle, right? The workouts are just really, really hard. And I've done, I play college football. I've done all kinds of heinous workouts. There's nothing like CrossFit, like as far as just for the fitness training to make it hard. So you get to see, you get to peel behind people's curtains and see if they really want it or not. And if you're an athlete and you want to be good, you have to want it, right? In your arena, like how do you guys train for that? What do you do to create the struggle for people in training so that they don't, you know, buckle in the ring? There's so much to mixed martial arts as a sport. So I won't really get into it because you could go all day on like each aspect in each sport. You mean like wrestling, striking? Yeah, like everything separate. But really what it comes down to is making, putting people in bad positions in the room to where if they get in those positions in the cage, it's like, okay, I've been here before. I'm going to stay calm, keep my composure, work through the position instead of putting myself in worse position by either freaking out and losing composure or just giving up. And I think that can be, it can be said for a lot of different things, whether it's, you know, pushing yourself cardio wise where you're doing incline treadmill sprints till you feel like you're going to die and doing interval training on the airdyne bike or, um, doing live goes in the wrestling room where you have to start on bottom. Nobody wants to start on bottom, you know, but everybody's like, Oh, the fight starts on your feet, but okay, well, what if you get put on bottom? What are you going to do then? So you're putting, we're basically putting each other in these positions where worst case scenario how do you get out of this position? How can you fight through it mentally, but also how can you keep your composure well enough to where you work your way through this problem-solving puzzle to get yourself back to where you want to be without giving up more position than you've already given? And I think a lot of it is just when it comes down to it, it's, it's definitely strategic, but the mental aspect of it, you have to put yourself in these positions that you don't want to be in to feel more comfortable if it happens in a fight. You know, um, so you put yourself in these different situationals, right? Like in your, your, you know, your back's against the cage, somebody's on top of you, you know, you train from half guard or you train from, you know, all these different places. Think about your own fighting style for a second. Cause I've noticed like, as I've watched, there's guys who seem much more like, they seem like counter fighters. So they wait for you to engage and then they re-engage. Right. And then there's some guys who like to go like an attack, you know, um, What's your preference in terms of style and, you know, or is there different times where you use different things? I would say in general, I'm a pressure fighter because I like to push the pace forward. Obviously, if I get a takedown, I'm heavy pressure on top and I want to basically make them give up from top position. And whether it's a submission or landing punches, whatever it is to open them up to the point where I can get the finish, that's where I'd like to be. But I've also trained for so long with so many different types of fighters that I can be a counter fighter. I can throw my jab and see what they're going to throw off of that. I can fake my wrestling shot, see what they're going to react to off of that, and kind of use counter fighting. And we call it reactionary training, where 
one guy's throwing at the other guy and we're reacting off of it and we're seeing what openings can be off of that. And that's a lot of our training. So a lot of us, even though we have a certain style, we can all fight any style pretty much. We can fight as counter fighters if we're getting backed up. We can fight as pressure fighters if the person isn't engaging as well. So I think that's something we do really well as a team is we have such different styles all together that we put everything together in training. But for me, my preference would be to pressure them, get the takedown, and get the finish on the ground. I'm curious. Thinking about you as a pressure fighter, I automatically go to, well, you got to be in really good shape to do that because you're creating the momentum of the fight. I've always been curious about this. I feel like there is a give and take between fitness or conditioning and skill, right? Because you only have so much time to devote to to both areas. And, I, and in MMA, there's so many skills that you have to master that I feel like when I watch fighters, a lot of fighters, high-level fighters, I'm like, dude, those guys, like, they're not in as good a shape as the other guy is. And it's, like, <laughs> yeah. clear. You can see it. And, like, that's why they end up losing the fight. It's not because mm-hmm. they don't have the skills. It's that... Maybe they needed to spend so much time on the skills that they couldn't spend time on the conditioning. Now, knowing Uriah, that's like one of the things he prides himself on. Is like, I'm always in fight shape. Yeah. He's always said that. I'm always in fight shape. If you probably had, not now. Probably not now. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, probably not now as a retired <laughs> He's guy. He's in surf shape. Yeah. <laughs> but um, if you had to like rank the importance there between skill and conditioning, like what's your opinion? You feel I like would say they have to be equal. They have to be equal. But that's just coming from somebody who's always been pushed on both sides of the spectrum from my conditioning, I'm never going to lose a match because I'm tired. And with the skill, I have to catch up on the skill because growing up next to my brother who was naturally gifted and he picked up the skill so well, I had to work so hard in those areas. So I would have to work on my skill and my conditioning, and my strength. And my strength and my conditioning were the best things that I had when I went to college. And I learned so much technique during that time in college where I put all those three things together, and it was like, if a guy beat me, it was because he was better than me at that point because he wasn't going to beat me on conditioning. He wasn't going to beat me in strength. So the technique is where you make one small mistake, just like with any pro sport or sport in college, you make one small mistake, that could cost you. And that's basically the only way I could ever accept losing because if it was because of not being in shape, that's just being lazy in my opinion. All right, well, let's take a real real example that we just saw. Okay. Like, all right, Mayweather versus McGregor. Yeah. Right? Every, the talk coming in is that McGregor wasn't going to have the skills to hang with Mayweather. And then as the fight wore on, everybody's like, well, he's never actually been past like this amount of time. In your eyes, was that a conditioning loss or a skill loss? I think a little bit of both. You think it was both? I think... Because like, he looked like he was just tired as hell. And oh then, yeah. that, then he started getting hit. Well, this is, what, this is how I feel the fight played out. Just from a, a non-biased standpoint of boxer MMA. I feel that Floyd knew that Connor was going to fade. Because he fades in every fight that goes past the first or second round. He's known for that. Yeah. And regardless of, like, I don't know what kind of conditioning training he does. It seems like he pushes himself really hard. So I don't know if it's, like, a like a system thing that they're doing wrong leading up to his fights or if it's just 
an adrenaline thing where it's some maybe some sort of anxiety of where he doesn't get the finish. So he's like, oh, fuck, now what? Just plummets, yeah. And that's a lot. That happens to a lot of people too, because it's a mental thing. You're you mentally break down if you can't put that guy away, and they're still there in the second or third round. You have to be ready to fight through that. But on the other aspect of it, Floyd's smart enough to know. Yeah, this guy. Let him throw his punches. Let him land. He landed a lot of good punches. Don't get me wrong, but Floyd didn't care. He didn't care. He's like these first three rounds. Let's make him throw those punches. That made him fade. His power level went down from 100 down to 75 after those first three rounds. Then Floyd started landing to the body, which takes more out of your conditioning, and just broke him down. It was very, very strategic on Floyd's part, but most people saw it as, oh, Connor just got tired, which he did, but it was, it was a strategic fight on Floyd's part. I mean, the guy's 50-0 and 0 for a reason. That was an incredible fight. It was. That was an incredible like, fight. They both earned their money. There's no doubt about it. Like yeah. It was entertaining. The buildup was unbelievable. And it was a great fight. I mean, it was a great show for the fans. Mm-hmm. But you have to see that like Floyd was taking these punches and smiling and like having fun in there. And it was like, you know that he's playing this fight to his advantage because... If he really wanted to, and he starts all his fights slow to begin with, and that's how he breaks a lot of guys down. That was the most I've ever seen Floyd Mayweather throw punches. <laughs> yeah. Like, he was actually, like, he was actually fighting. Oh, yeah. Which was, I mean, amazing. He saw me. blood, and that was it. It was great. Yeah. Because I feel like he always just avoids getting hit, avoids mm-hmm. getting hit. And maybe you're right. Maybe he, maybe he knew what Connor was going to do and how the fight was going to play out. So he's like, all right, I'll wear a couple punches. Like, yeah. I'm not going to worry about it so much. But, I mean, I, as a fan, I was like, great. Because that's great. <laughs> this is way more fun than watching oh, what yeah. you normally watch. No, it was great. I love that Floyd actually engaged in the fight, made it a fight for the fans. And, I mean, the only way we'll really know how good Connor is as a boxer is if we see him fight someone else. Because he fought arguably the best boxer of our time period. So it's like, yeah, anybody that fights him is going to look stupid at some point in that fight. So, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it'd be entertaining to see what happens with this Pauli Malinaji guy and if their negotiations are true. But we'll see. Well, I mean, that kind of leads us into your next fight. Yep. So you're fighting in about three or four weeks? Two weeks from tomorrow. Two weeks. Yep. Wow. Two weeks out. Um, you're fighting a guy named Steven Seiler, is that correct? Yes, sir. Yeah. Tell us about your opponent and what you're doing to get ready for him. Yeah, so Steven Seiler, he's been fighting for a long time. He's actually been a pretty good friend of the team for a long time. We have uh, a good connection with a lot of people in Utah. There was a, a guy named Will Farrar that he was a sponsor of a bunch of the guys on the team for a long time. And uh, we built a good relationship with all those people up at Salt Lake City and Orem, Utah. And so we've known Siler for a long time. Mendez fought Siler at a smaller show at Tachi Palace uh, a long time ago before Chad was in the WEC. And so we've, we have a big background with Siler. Um, he's got a lot of pro fights. He has 40-some pro fights, I'm pretty sure. And he's been around for a long time. Um, as far as his skill level, I feel like this is a great fight for me. And experience-wise, this is a great fight for me because to get a win over this guy, 
after the wins that he's had and just the experience that he's had is uh, it's great for me. You basically you can take all that person's wins and put them under your belt if you beat them. Basically, so the more fights they have, the better. It's like yeah, take somebody with that kind of experience and go in there and beat them and and learn from it. You know, whether it's a win or a loss, you learn from it. But it's always better to learn off a win. But he was uh, he was on the Ultimate Fighter show a while back, and he had a, a stint in the UFC for. I think it was like six or seven fights in the UFC. And then when he got cut from the UFC, he's had a few fights since then on the regional level. And now he's with uh, PFL. So I'm excited to uh, I'm excited to get after it in two weeks. Yeah, man, no kidding. So, I mean, what's the plan with this fight? You say it's good for you. Does that mean, like, you want to use this to kind of leverage your career and you want to see yourself, you know... Uh, do you see yourself knocking on the door of the UFC still? Is that something that you, you have aspirations to do? Yeah, definitely. The UFC has always been on my radar as far as what my main goal is. When I first started fighting, I got a, I had a picture of the UFC belt, and I put it as my background on my computer, and it's still the background on that computer that I have. And that's always going to be the main goal because that's the pinnacle of MMA. No matter what anyone says, like, Bellator, 1FC, PFL, UFC, everybody still knows that the UFC is like the NFL of MMA. So that's always going to be the main goal. And I only want to fight until I'm 35, so I'm about four and a half years still. So from this position I'm in now, getting a win over Siler, it's not only great for my career, but it's great to get back in the win column after losing a decision, after breaking my hand, and going into this next year with the last couple fights on this contract with them um, to keep building myself and getting better before I jump over and do that stint in the UFC and make the run for the title in the UFC. What does that take? Is it, is it like a... Is like Dana White just going to like issue you an invitation to come fight in the UFC, or is there like a, a lobbying procedure that where you have to kind of like apply? Like, how does that work? There's a lot of things that go into it. I've uh, I've talked with the UFC for years. Just, I mean, being a cornerman for a lot of the guys, Faber does a really good job of pumping us up to the matchmakers of the UFC when we're early in our career. And uh, my fifth pro fight, I fought the jiu-jitsu coach of the UFC matchmaker. So it's like these people have been seeing me fight since the beginning of my career. They know who I am. They know my ability. They know they know my potential. So that's not the question. It's it's mainly a money thing at this point. PFL pays me a good amount of money uh, to fight for them. And the problem, I guess it's not a problem, but the frustrating part is I'm fighting guys who are equally as tough as the UFC and some of them just aren't as well known. This fight gives me the opportunity to fight a guy who's recently out of the UFC, who had a good stint. He beat a uh, WEC champion, uh, Mike Brown, a few years ago and finished him in like 30 seconds. So this kid has, he has all the past things for me when I beat him for them to be like, okay, this kid's ready. You know, so it's not really something that I'm looking at as like, oh, I need to win this fight to get in the UFC. For me, it's just I need to win this fight regardless because I'm better than this guy and I train harder and I'm more skilled. But it definitely helps 
for negotiations when it gets to that point. So you can be paid what you want to be paid. Yeah, I mean, the last negotiations we had didn't go as I wanted, and that's why we re-signed a contract with PFL. But uh, sometimes that's just the way it goes. It's not always going to be – they're the biggest organization for MMA. They're not just going to be like, yeah, we'll give you whatever you want. Come on over. You know, it's like you'll take this or you can just keep fighting there. Right. So hopefully we can come to a better agreement. But right now I'm just focused on this fight and, and getting to the end of the year with this win. Yeah, man. We're rooting for you. <laughs> where, um, where can guys follow you if they want to watch this fight and kind of watch your training leading up to these last couple of weeks? My Instagram is Lance Palmer and my Twitter is Lance Palmer. My website is LancePalmerMMA.com, and um, obviously Team Alpha Male MMA on Instagram. They're always posting about everybody's fights. So we have that weekend of fights is of my fight. November 2nd is a Thursday, and Cody Garbrandt's world title fight is that Saturday. And then we have like six other guys who are up-and-comers fighting for a GKO fight in um, – Oh, what's it called? Rancho Marietta, I think it is, wherever the yeah. the casino is out there. So it's uh it's a big weekend for a lot of guys on the team, so it's gonna be exciting. Well, that's awesome, man. We wish the best to you. Thank you. Um you guys we want to remind you to download all our episodes um on iTunes. Go to btbpodcast.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and head over to studiosweden.com, type in the code BTB. One five for fifteen percent off their headphones. What if we want Ben's used ones though? What's the code for that? DM me on Instagram. Yeah, give him <laughs> a DM. I'll probably respond to you. I've been ignoring Lance's DMs, but you know, <laughs> I already know those are pictures. Don't of. yeah, don't send him eggplant emojis. He won't respond. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lance. Thanks again, man. Thank you, guys.